Monday, December 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, man. You as well. I'm a little, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm, a little, I'm finding a little something. I got a little, little sinus throat thing over the weekend. It was a good weekend, except for my health. You're still looking good, though. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> which, really, which really matters in an audio battle, anyway, right? You've got the face. I'm for just radio. trying to let them know, right? Exactly. We're not so, periscoping today. Now, so. exactly. <laughs> how how is the how is the uh, how are the conditions in your home? I mean, are the only ones sick? I mean, I get kids. I mean, it's really tough when you have sick no, it's, everybody. It's just me. Just you. It's just well, me. They're all good. They're all good. Well, that's good. At least it's not spreading rampant. Exactly. Uh, we'll dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Merger Monday. Newell Rubbermaid is buying Jarden in a cash and stock deal worth just north of $13 billion. And if those names are unfamiliar to you, <laughs> I promise you the products that they own do uh, are quite familiar. Um, it's a wild bunch of companies. It, yeah, this is, this, uh, this is now a consumer products yeah. merger. And we're talking names like Rubbermaid. Elmer's Glue, Yankee Candle, Papermate, Sharpie, Calphalon, Cookware, uh, Graco, which anyone who has a child knows, mm-hmm. Graco's <laughs> huge in the baby stuff industry. And uh, we were joking, Jason, uh, last weekend when we were taping the, the radio show, Matty Argersinger was joking about companies that use the word synergies and just you know we're we're making this merger you know but uh, here's where we're going to make the money synergies and this is one of those where the I just I was chuckling when I was reading the coverage and watching CNBC this morning just how often synergies got thrown around but it actually seems to make sense in this case I, I, yeah, I mean, I'd say so. I mean, these I think these are two businesses. There's not a lot of doubling up here, but by the same token, I think you would you you could walk around your home on any given day, and you're going to find a lot of products in your home from these two companies combined. I mean, you know, I can think of you know, five Yankee Candles that we have in our house, and I mean, I've got you know my fair share of, of Rubbermaid uh, kitchen utensils as well. I mean, this stuff is all over the place. So, it's, it kind of reminds me of 3M to a, to a degree in that case. Uh, and, you know, yeah, this just seems to be the, the way these companies are making news uh, these days. It's, it's, really, it's difficult to find uh, you know, organic revenue growth. It's really difficult to find uh, that sustainable uh, sort, of, sort of growth that, that maybe we've, we've seen from these companies in the past, and so the best way to to resolve that, you announce a flashy acquisition, and there you go. And I mean, this is going to be something that is going to uh, result in in a much higher share count for for Newell Rubbermaid. I mean, I think they're going to be issuing somewhere along the line. I think it's it's point eight shares of Newell Rubbermaid for every share of Jarden. That's yep. going to be you know that's going to be just based on the shares outstanding alone. That's like going to be like another hundred seventy five million shares. Not to mention anything else that's that's out there in regard to restricted stock or options, or whatever you know they may have. So, I mean, who knows how you know in the near term this this uh, you know affects the shares because it certainly seems like Newell Rubber made it taking a hit today. But but I mean, I, you know, I could see these two guys making it work together. I like the new name though. The new name of the combined company is going to be Newell Brands, which is a step up as we talked about last week with Dow and Dupont going with. Dow Dupont, when, definitely. When, when Dow Pont is just sitting there waiting to be taken, <laughs> definitely That's more all encompassing, though, right? Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. I think it's probably just going to be an advantage to reduce the amount of trucks delivering goods to Target. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> this is like a third of the products that Target carries, with the baby, the home office supplies, the decorations, uh, 
staples as well. So I think the transportation and logistics will probably be the biggest synergy. Other than that, like the products probably don't use similar ingredients and components. So I don't know if that's good. Dream manufacturing, if that's going to be a competitive advantage now, but transportation and logistics, I would imagine, would be the big selling point of a deal like this because their outlets are pretty much all the same. Other than um, I don't know if Yankee Candle has its own stores. It does. It does. Yeah. So other than that, I feel like they're sold in bulk goods stores. I also think it gives them a little bit more pricing power, at least in theory, when they go to Target and now yeah, it's, shelf space as well. Here yeah. are all the products we've got mm-hmm. under our roof, and so when they're sitting down with Brian Cornell, who's doing a really good job at Target, but sit down with him and it's like, well, let's let's talk about our terms here. Yeah, that's we, fair. We feel like we've got some good brands under our under our roof. Get some more end cap space. It's like a Pepsi coming into a grocery store saying, "We want this, and we're going to get this." Hey, we got a uh, thin mint Yankee candle at our house this year. Really? Chris. It's a. Uh, I'm pretty impressed by that. Like the Girl Scouts have their own little. It's Girl branded Scout as Girl Scout. It is a Girl Scout. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, cookies Yankee candle. Dude, and it, that'll it, it, freshen mints, up any home. Like, thin mints tag along smalls. I mean, I like, do you put that in the freezer too before you light it? <laughs> no, sir. I do not. <laughs> uh, there's a new analyst note out from Morgan Stanley on GoPro, and we don't often pay all. The, let's let's be clear. There are Wall Street firms, there are analysts at Wall Street firms who are putting out notes every day of the week. And what's particularly eye-catching about this one is the way that this one analyst cut the price target of GoPro. And when we talk about price targets, we're talking about what analysts think the price of a given stock is going to be 12 months from now. Keep in mind, on Friday, this is a stock that closed at 19. The price target that they did have on GoPro for a year from now was 23. That's a nice little bump up. It's not too bad. In this new note, it's been cut to 12. <laughs> and the stock is down more than 15%. It's trading just north of $16 a share. This is. It's a string of a bad month or so for this company. It really is. Oh my God. And this is, I mean, I. I don't own GoPro. I'm not necessarily leaping to its defense, but part of one of my instincts was, oh, you know, that's enough. You're piling on at this point, but it might be worth it. Chris, that you don't own GoPro, I'm not going to recommend that you use this opportunity to go out and start a position. This okay? is not a buy on the dip situation. I don't think this is a buy on the dip situation. Morgan Stanley is actually one of the last companies I think on Wall Street that hasn't downgraded this company over the last couple of weeks. They're actually late to the game on this, even with a 50% price reduction. Yeah, and I mean, so you'd like to be able to look at this and say, well, let's. Try to try to approach this from a contrarian perspective and see, you know, why why this story could work out. And and I think you know for a while, yeah, I I, th- I thought GoPro certainly had a chance uh, based on the strength of its brand in its market. I think mm-hmm. that it, it really does have a reputation for excellence in what it does. And when you have founders like Nick Woodman. You know, taking this business public and really trying to take it to the next level. I mean, that's always good to see as well because that you know he has all the incentive in the world to try to make these guys succeed. Now, now with all that said, those are nice sort of qualities of the business. Those don't make the thesis right. And so, historically speaking, you look at the numbers GoPro has lobbed up: excellent growth in, in revenue, profitability, free cash flow positive, all of these good signs. But you know, the one concern I think most of us had when we saw them go public was that at the end of the day, this is a device maker first and foremost, and we know how those typically play out. Devices are commodity goods. After a while, they sort of race to the bottom, and GoPro has not been immune to this. I mean, we saw this latest um, product that they put out, the 
the Hero 4 session camera. I mean, they had to cut the price from $399 to $299, now to $199. Mm-hmm. And Eesh. so, what that means is that historically growing revenue and profitability and margin line, that is more than likely gone. I don't know that they necessarily can get that back unless they're able to make this move into becoming more than just a device maker, which they do have that in the strategy is to become a media company. I, I you know, I mean, until they actually can can prove something there, I mean, the market is very wise to question this, and and I don't know that I would look at this as, you know, a, a an opportunity to to buy into to the story either. I mean, to me, I look at this and it has all the classic signs of a value trap. It'd be very easy to say, well, the long term story still looks good, but you're taking an awful big leap of faith there. Well, now you're expecting them to sell twice as many cameras to yeah. even keep revenue flat because they cut the price essentially in half over the last couple price cuts. So. I don't see that happening. No. I thought the I can't remember the drone manufacturer that they partnered with, um, DJIA or or Phantom. I can't remember, but I thought that was going to be a big deal for them. Turns out it's not because there's pricing power on both sides because they don't make the drone. So the drone manufacturer was arguing that they're providing the the GoPro at too high of a price. Bottom line is the camera isn't indestructible; it's the case. So if anyone else comes out with the, a case that can house that can house a phone just as well or yeah. a smaller camera just as well. GoPro is pretty much up a creek, um, and you know, I think the media aspect is is nice, but I don't know how long that can really sustain because they do have rights to all the content that you upload on their site, so then they can use that on their YouTube channel, on if they start a Netflix channel or whatever. But I don't think that's enough to really sustain a, a stock that had really leapt out of the gates when it first IPO'd. Yeah, I don't think that's a driver. I mean, I think that's something they could grow over time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point, I don't know that because I don't know how meaningful they can really make that. Um, and it's really interesting to see sort of the the you know when you look at these device makers, and a lot of times you got to consider also what makes the device. And so a lot of those companies are, are public as well. And so one of the companies that we see sort of work in tandem with GoPro is Amborella. Mm-hmm. And Amborella is that systems on a chips, uh, you know, provider, and they. They are a very, very. Uh, they get a lot of their business from GoPro, and GoPro is, is you know, gets gets. Uh, there's a lot of Amberella in what GoPro makes, and so we've seen, interestingly enough, here, you know, some of the news that has come out from Amberella has been like, well, you know, our our channels are, we're not seeing the same type of business levels that we saw previously from GoPro. So not only do you have GoPro sort of. You know, offering up signs of weakness, but you've got GoPro suppliers that are telling us that well, GoPro is seeing some signs of weakness as well. So, so we've seen some more or less some confirmation there that it's not just something GoPro seeing; it's something that GoPro suppliers are seeing as well. And yeah, I mean, I don't doubling up on the device app. That that's uh, we're already looking, I think, at a at a potentially weak Christmas and holiday season for GoPro. I don't I don't know that people are necessarily going out there buying a bunch of these cameras, and I think that the price cut really speaks to that. And you know, given now that we're seeing Amberella is really trying to separate themselves from being considered, you know, as as such a big part of GoPro of the GoPro story, because anytime GoPro comes out with bad news, it it really plays out on Amberella stock as well. And yeah. Amberella is more than just GoPro. I mean, that that's another story altogether. But but uh, you can certainly see Amberella trying to distance itself from GoPro at this point, and it's certainly understandable. I'm trying to remember who I was talking to about this. I think it might have been you, Taylor, but we was talking with someone recently about when you have an investment thesis for a given stock, 
And that thesis involves the word if multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> if there's just one if in your thesis, it's like, well, this stock has been knocked down. And if X, Y, Z, then we're in good shape. But if it involves multiple ifs, and I feel like GoPro, among its challenges, is now a multiple if mm-hmm. thesis stock. When you look at something like drones and the regulatory environment for yep. drones, and you're in part dependent on regulations from Uncle Sam, whether you know, as a consumer, that factors into well, am I going to buy this flying camera because Absolutely. maybe I'm going to get in trouble or something like that? And I feel like you know, that's just one of the multiple ifs involved here. I feel like one of the big ifs is now is it if it's going to get bought out by somebody if it keeps falling. I've seen rumors that. Not from Apple, but just, hey, it might make sense if it gets cheap enough. Maybe Apple dives in and just uses the technology. But that was just one rumor I saw. It didn't have any weight to it. But an interesting thought that if it gets any cheaper, maybe somebody has a better use case for it. I think that'd be the big if for the acquisition. I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk about this Apple potential. And I think that's the big if, if it gets cheap enough. Because this is still, at the end of the day, the same story, whether it's GoPro independent or GoPro part of the Apple family. They still have the same challenges, mm-hmm. right? So I mean, just being a part of the Apple family that doesn't necessarily just take care of the problems. Um, a couple things here real quick. I of course, we always have to go to Twitter to really find out what what are the people out there think, Chris. Let's let's ask <laughs> Enough the, of let's us. hear from the people, people yeah. right? And so I mean, the beauty Give of the Twitter quotes. poll is that you can really get a feel of what people think. And I I actually submitted a question this morning, GoPro, uh, you know, is it an attractive value or is it a value trap? What do you think? And uh, we still have plenty of time to go, about 70 votes in right now, but 75% of the people are saying value trap. And I think that's probably uh, going to be, you know, I think those results will more than likely stick. Um, I, I think there's just a very good lesson here with GoPro. I think with any investment, really, and in the, in, in the thing about investing, it's a very powerful uh, strength of, of a good investor to be able to change his or her mind when the facts change, and you need to be able to do that. I mean, I, I was I was certainly well more optimistic on GoPro, a, you know, six months ago, a year ago. I, but there, all of the signs point towards we need to be very concerned about this business. So I, I think for investors out there, it, it's another good lesson to always. It's a fluid situation, and never be afraid to really change your mind and say, "Nope, hey, listen, I got this one wrong, and now we're looking at this and I'm changing my tune a little bit." Because when the facts change, you need to be able to change with them. MarketFullery at Fool.com is our email address. Question from Joseph Lombardi. With support for medical and now recreational marijuana growing, what companies should I be eyeing for this new emerging market? I think that this market will only explode in the next five to ten years, and I'd like to add, I'd like to add it to my portfolio. Would love to hear your thoughts. I think a lot of people look at certainly the last 18 months and what's happened with marijuana legalization. In the western half of the United mm-hmm. States, and, and think DC as well. Yep, and think well, this is an emerging market. But the question is, how emerging yeah. and how quickly? Because it seems like it's not really, it's not really emerging in terms of investment ideas. Yeah. the way that uh, some investors would like. Not many corporations that you can invest in that I know of that at least are above like a, mot- a Motley Fool esque market cap or <laughs> or financial backing. Um, there are some companies out there, mostly penny stocks. They're very, very volatile. Um, I haven't looked at many of them, but my mind, it's still very emerging from an investing standpoint. 
you look at most of the production is coming from farmers out west on on their own dime. Um, there's not, I mean, there's some private equity involved and venture capitalists involved, sure, but um, I think this industry is eventually just going to be run by big tobacco and big pharma because they're going to they're going to have all the cash to go buy buy everyone up. They have obviously tobacco companies have the know-how to grow tobacco and distribute a, a smokable product around the world. Um, so I think that they're going to have the distribution, and then um, on the medical side, I can't see big pharma just letting this slide by because there's a pretty decent chance, based on a lot of science, that marijuana could solve a lot of the ills that the pills that they're currently selling at very high prices um, already takes care of. So they're not going to let somebody come in and undercut them with a natural substance when they have the distribution channels and the R&D to figure it out much more quickly than everybody else. And I'm not great at farming, but you know what's easier than growing tobacco? <laughs> I do play Farmville. Growing marijuana. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because as Bill Barker pointed out on this podcast long ago, it's a weed. Yeah, it's a weed. Weeds a weed. are easy to grow. They look, are. look at any amateur gardener's it tends to leave your bed. soil in a better condition than when you originally planted it. Very it interesting point. Does Farmville make you a better farmer? I don't know. Have you ever played it? No. I'm not sure. Um but this is this is actually this is a true story. You know, so we we lived overseas for a number of years. We were in Cairo, Egypt for a few years. We lived in Kazakhstan, Astana, Kazakhstan for two years, working at the U.S. Embassy there. And it was in a relatively new area because they had just moved the capital from uh, uh, from Almaty to Astana, and um, which is which is something that still fascinates me. What that they moved the capital? That it's like, you know what? <laughs> Geographically uh, speaking, it was the right thing to do. I think. I think uh, Almaty is kind of stuck in between. A, it's, it's in like a valley that was really a, primitive. But, um, but my point is, all over the grounds. Now, this is a big U.S. embassy grounds. It is. It is a compound. It is enclosed. You have walls, fence, all this stuff. But man, all over the place, you would find marijuana plants just sprouting up out of nowhere. <laughs> Because it was a weed. Now, I mean, unless there were some nefarious purposes there with with people that we don't know about. I mean, obviously, I'm just making a joke there. But this was just to, just to speak to how simple it just it was. It was yeah. harmless, but they just there's nothing you do because you had about four months out of the out of the year where it wasn't an iceberg, and and you know things sprouted up all over the place. And I couldn't believe I'm walking around one day and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, Man, that looks really familiar. Like, I, <laughs> and I went over there and I smelled it and I was like, holy cow, man! And I. Asked a few people in there, they're like, "Yeah, it just it just sprouts up all over the place. It's a weed, and it's just one of those things that's just indigenous to this area." But I just thought that was pretty funny. I feel like the marijuana market opportunity is where alternative energy was maybe 15, 20 years yeah, ago. There's going to be some where, big swings and misses. Where, where 15, 20 years ago, the the main question when you looked at alternative energy, particularly solar, mm-hmm. was is this even going to work? Yeah. And now, there's not that question. It's more sort of, okay, this is going to work. Now, who's going to make it work? Who's going to benefit? And I feel like we're maybe not 20 years away, but at least 5 to 10. And I, I, I like your, your point, Taylor, about looking at big pharma, looking at big tobacco, because I, I think what would be really interesting to see is if in the next few years, the story of the day is how, you know, R.J. Reynolds yeah. just put a billion-dollar investment into marijuana. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine they're in the earholes of lobbyists and congressmen figuring out what's the next step with all the money that they've already put into lobbying over the years. You have to imagine that that's a topic of conversation at least once a year. Um, and just an interesting anecdote from the Canadian market, there's a couple miners, like very, very small-cap miners, that 
because obviously commodity prices have been down the past couple of years, they've actually transitioned over to becoming marijuana growth companies and uh, <laughs> not doing not doing well yet. But uh, it's just like just to show you that really anybody can get into it right now and and try and succeed. Uh, they really had no business being a marijuana grower. They were mining for silver and other commodities, and then all of a sudden, well, this is this isn't working out so well. Let's try our hand in this. So it's easy to get into. There's no moat, and once there is a moat, it's going to be, I imagine, the big balance sheets of Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, maybe more in the near term, more opportunity for like the small business, small businesses. Small business yeah, absolutely. Woman, you know? I mean, given how important small business is to to our economy here, that probably is where the bigger near term opportunities. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think Taylor's spot on. The bigger, more, more, you know, sort of investing implications for people like us that'll come down the road with with the bigger players in the space that don't have to really lever themselves all to just the the success or failure of of you know what marijuana may or may not do. I really hope that among our dozens of listeners, someone is working for the federal government. Someone hears this episode. I swear to God, if and, I get in trouble, I'm and, like, and reaches out to our embassy, the U.S. Embassy oh, in Kazakhstan, and says, "Hey, out of the blue, question." Any chance there are still marijuana plants <laughs> just growing on the ground? So, um, two things. I stand by my story. It happened. Oh, I, I no, I don't. But number that. two, I don't think they did it on purpose. I don't so. think they did either. <laughs> but I think that they might want to look maybe, into that. Maybe, maybe we till the soil a couple maybe, times maybe, extra. Maybe here. employ a gardener. Yeah. Maybe yeah. go out and pick some weeds. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.